Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So we talked about the ministry of reconciliation and what reconciled means last week in the word of reconciliation. Concepts you see again and again at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I want to talk about being an ambassador today. What does it mean to be an ambassador? You see, an ancient ambassador, when this was written, is the same as an ambassador today. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. An ambassador is an accredited, an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. An ambassador is back with authority and power, not of his own authority and power, but the authority and the power of the government who sent him. So when the United States sends an ambassador to another country, that ambassador is back with the full power and the authority of the U.S. government. It is sent, the ambassador, he or she is sent on a mission backed by the authority and the power of the U.S. government. And so we'll get into this part of it next week, but if the ambassador had a need, let's say the U.S. ambassador to Germany, would the U.S. ambassador to Germany go to Germany get its needs met? No. It would reach back to the United States. Why? The U.S. Senate. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. You have authority and power from heaven. And whatever you need, need you have and fulfilling your role as an ambassador is backed by heaven. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Say, I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I have authority and power from heaven. Go to Psalm 103, verse 19. We are authorized representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are sent ones with delegated authority. We are sent ones with delegated authority. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. The kingdom of God rules over all. The kingdom that backs you, the kingdom that sent you, the kingdom that authorized you rules over all. So if there's a situation that shows up in your life that seems to have a lot of power or seems like it has a lot of pull, a lot of authority, what backs you is greater than it. In order to be an effective ambassador, you have to know whose you are and who you are. You have to know who sent you. Because if grandma sent you, well, grandma got to back you. Come on. If your neighbor sent you, then your neighbor has to back you. But if heaven sent you, heaven has to back you. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 4.20 in the New Living Translation, the kingdom of God is not a lot of talk, but power. The kingdom of God is not a lot of talk, it's power. And so there's a lot of talk in the world today, a lot of philosophies, a lot of talking heads. But the kingdom of God is power. And what the world needs to see today is power. 
and you've been backed by the power of God. Go with me to Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17. The kingdom of God is not a lot of talk. It's power. And we live in a day and age where there's enough talking people. You know, I was sharing something with my oldest, I think it was on Friday, we were listening to someone and they were sharing their opinion. And as a person we expect, respect, and I said, you know, maybe you have to understand, everybody has an opinion. They're like armpits. Everybody's got a couple of them. Some stink. So there's a lot of talking in the world today. But instead of opinions and talk, we need power. And the kingdom of God is not a lot of talk, it's power. So Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, talking about when Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, sin death entered the world and death reigned. Much more they which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So one, if you receive an abundance of grace, one of the things we learn from the scripture, especially in the New Testament, you can receive more and more grace. God gives grace and he gives grace abundantly. So if I want to reign in life, I need to always put myself in a position to receive more grace. So, well, I have grace. Good, there's more. Oh, this day is rough. Well, guess what? There's more grace. It says those who humble themselves receive more grace. Now, being humble doesn't say, well, I'm stupid, I'm a worm, there's nothing good about me. No, because that's actually an unbiblical statement. Well, what's good about you? What God made in you. So if you say nothing's good about you, that means God did nothing in you? It might be religious, but it's not Bible. We need to make sure we're not following religiosity and ignoring what the Bible says. So what is being humble according to the Bible? Yielding to what God says about you. If the word says this about you, then it's true. Yielding what God says about your actions. If God says that's right, then it's right. If God says that's wrong, then it's wrong. Being in a position of humility causes you to receive more grace. We also see that being a giver causes you to receive more grace. It told us on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that as we give, God is able to cause grace to abound towards us. So we have all sufficiently all things we abound to every good work. So there's different things we can see about receiving more grace. So with an abundance of grace, we can exercise a higher level of influence and rule in our lives. Because reign means to rule, to control, or exercise a high level of influence. Every king, understand this, has a domain. Every king has a domain that he's responsible for. You're called to reign in life as a king because you received the gift of righteousness. When you were born again, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 last week. So the thing is, righteousness is your standing. You can't do anything to make yourself more righteous. You can't do anything to make yourself less, less righteous. It is a gift. You receive it. As soon as you are born again, as soon as you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why when you mess up, you can come to God. Because you have standing. That no matter what you did, you can go to the throne of God and say, God, I missed it. I blew it. I sinned. Please forgive me. You have standing. You know, in a courtroom, not everybody has standing. Not anybody in the courtroom can randomly stand up and say what they got to say. If they do, they get thrown into contempt. Right? But you have standing, which means at any time you can go through the throne of God and says, Jesus, whether you've messed up or you just need help, 
or you need God to help you not to knock somebody out. At any time, you can come to the throne of God because you have standing. And so now that you have standing and you receive grace, you're supposed to reign in this life. And every king has a domain that he is responsible for. That's why we call it kingdom. It's the domain of the king. So you have an assignment. You have an area you're responsible for. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You have an assignment. You have an area you are responsible for. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Say dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth and subdue it. How do you subdue something? You use your dominion. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. You were made for dominion, not to be dominated. You were made to have dominion, not to be dominated. Go to Psalm 8, verse 4. Psalm 8, verse 4 gives another picture of what we just read in Genesis 1. You know, when Hebrews quotes it, it says it was sang by an angel in a certain place. So Psalm verse 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. That's what it says in the King James. But when you look at the Hebrew, it says Elohim, which we know is the name of God. When you look at other translations, it says you have made him a little lower than God himself. When God made you, he put you in his class. Well, how do we know that? Another scripture tells us that Satan is the lowercase g, God of this world. Well, how did he become God of this world when Adam and Eve sinned? Because before then, who was the God of this world? Adam and Eve. They had dominion. They had authority. God made man a little lower than himself. And you have crowned him or surrounded him with glory and honor. Now, when we also look through the Bible, who else is surrounded with glory and honor? God. So when he made mankind... He made them to look like him. After his likeness and his image, he surrounded them with glory and honor. And so when we read the phrase, they were naked and not ashamed, it doesn't mean they had nothing. They didn't have clothes like we know, or they were surrounded with the glory of God. And how do we know that? He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So when man sinned, the glory lifted. The glory of God backed the authority God gave Adam and Eve. So if they said something, the glory would enforce it. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yes, and the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So you are made to have dominion and not to be dominated. You are made to have dominion, not to be dominated. That's why anyone in the world... If someone tries to dominate them, there's something on the inside of them that rises up saying, this isn't right. Why? You weren't made to be dominated. 
You are made to have dominion. Let me take that further. You are also not made to dominate other people. You are not made to dominate other people, other people under your feet. You're supposed to influence them through love and the word of God and the power of God in prayer, not to dominate people. God has not called you to dominate others. But God has called you to have dominion. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Because you are called to walk in dominion wherever your assignment is. You are called to walk in dominion where your assignment is. We'll get back to Adam and Eve in a moment. Remember, an ambassador has been delegated authority. And we see Jesus operated this way in his ministry. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he, Jesus, called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure disease. Notice power, supernatural power, miraculous power, and authority. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Power and authority can be delegated. Power and authority can be delegated. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. So this is what Jesus did to the 12 apostles. And he said, well, of course, that's Peter, that's James, that's John, that's Matthew. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed others 70 also. Now, these weren't the 12 apostles that we're all familiar with. These were 70 other people who just happened to follow Jesus, who just believed in Jesus. So Jesus got a 70 of them around because Jesus had a large crew that went from the places. We knew about the 12. You read in Luke chapter 8, other people who were with him who gave towards his ministry on a regular basis. And then you have these 70 and other people. And Jesus started counting out two by two. Okay, you two go this way. You two go this way. You two go this way. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself he would go. He had them prepare the way for him. Now when he sent them forth, he gave them power and authority as well. How do we know that? Go down to verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. We know the word name means authority and character. So when they are going into these places, Satan tried to resist them. Demons tried to manifest. But what did these people do? This is in the name of Jesus. And the authority of Jesus and the demons listened to them. And so these 70 followers of Jesus were just so excited. It's like, Jesus, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Demons listen to us because of your authority, because of your name. Verse 18, and he said to him, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the miraculous power, the deceptive power of the enemy. And nothing, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So Jesus says, it's not a big deal the demons listen to you. What you really should rejoice about is your name is written in heaven. But notice this passage, he said, behold, I give you the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Why was that important? Remember, this is about 2,000 years ago. Ancient highways, ancient roads. What are one of the dangers of ancient highways and ancient roads? If you don't got a chariot or something you're riding in, a scorpion walking across your path is very dangerous. A snake walking across your path is very dangerous. And so what is he talking about? Things that would try to get in your way on your assignment. He sent them two by two. That serpent would try to get away of their assignment. The scorpion would try to get in their way on their assignment. And anything Satan will try to do will try to get in the way of their assignment. What well, she says, you have a dominion over that. You have authority over that. That as you're on assignment, you have authority. 
No matter where your assignment takes you, you have authority because you've been sent. You have delegated authority over your assignment. You have been delegated authority wherever your assignment takes you. Let's go back to Genesis 2. We see these 70 exercise authority over the enemy through their words. They exercise authority over the enemy through their words. So you need to be, be cautious about what you say. You need to watch your mouth. It's easy to talk faith when you're gathering with people of faith. Well, what do you say on Monday? Because your words give the enemy access. Just like your words give God access. So you have to be cautious what you say. Because you've not been sent to do your own will. You've been sent to do the will of the kingdom that sent you. And you have authority and dominion. You exercise that by the words of your mouth. So when you look at your life, look at the stuff you don't like. And backpedal a little bit and see what you've been saying. Because you've become the prophet of your own life. You say, well, nobody wants to hire me. Well, if you've been saying that for years, of course nobody wants to hire you. You can have what you say. You have to watch the words of your mouth. So Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And one of the Hebrew commentaries, it says man became a speaking spirit just like God. Why? How was God creating? By speaking. And he made us in our image and our likeness and expected us to create and to rule and reign the same way by speaking. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And so the garden, you know, we think of gardens today, you know, people have made little gardens in their backyard during this time, this little cute small area, they transformed their backyard. But that's not the type of garden God made for Adam and Eve. This garden covered parts of North Africa and the Middle East. It stretched past modern-day Iraq. This is a large place. And he put Adam and Eve there. This is where they were supposed to live. Now, there's two places in the world, we'll get into in a moment, at this time. There's the Garden of Eden, and there's the field. The whole world was not the Garden of Eden. Now, the whole world could become the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve operated in their assignment, because remember, he said, fill the earth. So they're supposed to expand the garden to cover the planet. That was their assignment. But God gave them a nice head start with a very, very large garden. But notice what God told Adam in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The word dress means to work and serve. So God gave Adam assignment. He says, you are to work this garden. You are to serve this garden. But this word keep means to guard to watch as a watchman, to watch as a shepherd will watch his sheep, to preserve, to keep safe. It means to guard, to watch as a watchman, to watch as a shepherd, to preserve, to keep safe. Now, if you have to say, keep something safe, that means there's something out there that try to take what you got. There's something out there that try to spoil what you got. If you have to have dominion, there's something that's going to try to resist your rule. So what is this a hint? Hey, snake coming. You have to understand, Adam had an assignment just like you have an assignment. But just because you have an assignment doesn't mean the enemy is just going to back away. He's going to try the same tactics he did on Adam and Eve. So let's go to chapter 3. You have been delegated authority over your home and where you live. 
The garden was Adam's home as well as his assignment. So you have dominion and authority over your house. Well, Satan is just really running through my house. We'll kick him out. It's your house, not his. You have to use your dominion. You have to use your authority. You have to open your mouth and say, no, not in my house. Not in my family. Not in my kids. No. You have dominion and authority where you live. You also have dominion and authority concerning your assignments, wherever God has called you to work. Whatever field or industry he's called you to be, you have dominion and delegate authority in that area because you've been sent there. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Pause. Where was the serpent? Field. Did the serpent belong in the garden? So number one, when Adam and Eve saw the serpent, they could have said, now what are you doing here? You don't even belong in here. Your place is over there. See, a lot of times we fall trapped to the enemy because we've allowed things in a house that don't belong there. We have allowed things into our garden that belongs out in the field. And the thing is, before the serpent ever opened his mouth, they could have said, get out. And the serpent would have to leave. What have you allowed into your house or into your sphere of influence that doesn't belong there? Because if you're going to establish dominion, and walk in authority, you must establish your environment. If you're going to walk in dominion and walk in authority, you must establish your environment. An environment is created by whatever you do on a regular basis. An environment is created by whatever you do on a regular basis. That's why we can go to some people's house and it just seems tense. You walk in they're like, ooh, did they just fight before I walked in? They've established an environment of tense and fighting. On the flip side, you can go to some people's house and it's just peace. You walk into the house, there's so much peace, you're like, I know it's not proper, but I can fall asleep right on this couch. So much peace here. Why? They practice peace. If you're going to walk in authority and walk in dominion, you must establish your environment. And the environment is established by whatever you do and say on a continual basis. You can create an atmosphere in your home. It's by your choice, but what do you do on a regular basis? And so they allowed the serpent into the garden. And he said unto the woman, Yes, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan will always cast doubt on the word of God. He will always question the word of God. He still does that today. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which God, in the midst of the garden, God says, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Casting down on the word of God. It's like, ah, you know, God's not really too sure about what he's been saying. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. So notice how he's trying to tempt and deceive Eve. Trying to come to her and say, God is holding out on you. God is keeping this back from you. God really doesn't have your best interest in mind. That, you know, God really knows that if you do this thing, then your life's going to be better. This is the same thing he tells our kids and our teenagers all the time. Much less the adults, but the kids and teenagers all the time. You're living for God. You know, you're going to miss out on something. Go ahead and live how the way you want to live right now. Then get your life right older. No. He's always casting doubt on, God, casting doubt on God's way and God's will. We have to understand, remember, God is good and his mercy endures forever. So whatever plan or will he has for you is good. It's based on his love for you. 
Satan knows that, but he wants to trick you out of it. He cast doubt on the word of God and then brought an identity crisis into the situation. Because if you eat of it, you're going to be asked, God, they already were. Who had more dominion or power on that planet than them? Nobody. God made them the gods of this world. He clothed them with glory and honor just like himself. He gave them dominion and authority just like himself. They were the rulers over the planet. But Satan convinced Eve she was missing out on something. And what happened when she sinned and Adam sinned? They laid down their authority and their dominion. And that's how Satan got it. Don't let Satan convince you you're missing out on something in order to make you lay down your dominion and your authority and your assignments. Don't let him convince you that God doesn't have your best interest in mind. Don't let him convince you that God's word is not relevant for your life today. That if you follow the word of God today, you're going to miss out on something. Don't let him say the word of God doesn't apply to 2020. No, the word is still true. Satan will always bring doubt to the word to make you let go of your authority so that he can have authority over you and have dominion over your life. Let's go to Genesis 18. Also, to operate in dominion, you must have dominion and control over your thought life. Because now, today, Satan won't send a serpent to talk to you. It's not Chronicle of Narnia. But he will send thoughts. It'll be the same thought that's like you talk to Eve. And so what do you have to do? Not every thought that comes into your head is yours. Satan battles on the battlefield of the mind. So what happens if a thought comes in your head that's not yours? Resist it. Say, that's not my thought. No, I'm not going to think about that. No. Because see what happens when Satan sends thoughts. So it's like a FedEx, UPS, Amazon delivery. You don't have to take the package they deliver. You don't have to pick it up and bring it inside. You don't have to sign for it. You can say, no, I don't want that, right? Same thing with thoughts. But see, what happens when people take the enemy's thoughts, they take it, and they take it by thinking about it. And they keep thinking about it again and again and again and again and again. And eventually, after they think about it, they start talking about it. And they talk about it again and again and again, and then they start acting on it. And after they've done it a few times, it becomes a habit. And after they build enough habits, it's become a lifestyle. And where did it come? One unchecked thought. To make you live a lifestyle that's against the word of God. To now, instead of having dominion, you are dominated. So if you're going to walk in dominion, after you establish your environment, you must establish your thought life and decide, you know what? I'm going to do what Philippians 4 says. I only think of things that are good, that are pure, that are lovely, that have a good report, that are praiseworthy, that have virtue, that have honor. I'm going to think according to the word of God. You must have control over your thought life. Everybody's trying to get into your head. Everybody. So you got to watch what you watch on TV. If the news is causing you to panic, turn it off. So why do I need to know what's going on? Well, limit it. If you're panicking every time you flip on the news, then limit it. If your limit is two minutes, so be it. Well, well that's enough. Watch who you follow on Twitter. Watch who you follow on social media. Say, oh, well, I have to have my family members on Facebook because they can get offended if I don't have them as a friend. Well, cool. Let them be your friend and unfollow. See, that's a ministry that unfollow, but no, no, unfollow. I don't need that drama on my timeline today. Watch what you're consuming because it's going to affect your thought life. 
and watch out for things that make you live below who you are. Because you listen to enough people, they may be well-meaning, but they'll keep telling you you're a victim. And then you'll believe it. Well, maybe I am a victim. Maybe, maybe life keeps happening to me. And you start believing that you cannot affect things, that you cannot change things. The person may be well-meaning, but now they've changed their mentality. Now, yes, there's a lot of things that go on in the world. There's a lot of systematic injustice, a lot of evil. There's a lot of problems. It's in the world. So what do you do? Reject it. Say, no, you know, I'm not going to be dominated by that. I'm not going to let life happen to me. I'm going to happen to life. I believe what the Bible says, the greater one is in me. He's greater than who is in the world. That I have authority where my assignment's concerned. So even if systematic injustice shows up on my assignment, even if some type of sickness or disease shows up on my assignment, I have authority. I have dominion over all the power of the enemy. You have to overcome. Remember, it says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And 1 John 4, 4, let's turn there for a second. We'll come back to Genesis in a moment. 1 John 4, 4. Because you know what? I refuse to be a victim. When God's told me I'm more than a conqueror. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loves him that begat loves him also that is begotten of him. Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This world means the systems of this world. And the systems of this world, of course, have systematic injustice because of the systems of this world. But if you're born of God, anybody born of God in here? You overcome the systems of this world. So if they don't like you because of your gender, tough, you overcome that situation. If they don't like you because of the color of their skin, tough, you overcome that situation. If they don't like you because of your age, tough, you overcome that. Because greater is he who is in you. And you're born a world overcomer. So why don't like how I was born the first time? Well, get born again. You were born again a world overcomer, and you overcome the systems of the world by faith. So that lets you know you're going to run into some things in the system of the world that are not right. Well, reject it and have dominion and resist it by your faith. There's nothing that can show up in your life that you can't beat. There's nothing that can show up in your life that you can't beat. Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that God limited Satan. He can only bring things into your life that are common to man. And it says every time he brings something in, God has provided a way for you to escape it. No matter what shows up, there is a path for victory. Even if it looks overwhelming, you have to look to representatives of, you have to look to the wisdom of the kingdom that sent you, sent your representatives. Well, where is the wisdom of heaven? Right here. If you're born again, he put it on the inside of you. So you pause, look on the inside. Okay, God, let me calm down my emotions. Let me not get stressed about whatever just showed up. What do I do, sir? I'm reporting for orders as an ambassador. And no matter what showed up, you can beat it. Because you have authority for your assignment. No matter what shows up, God provides a way out. Say, God always provides a way out. Now go back to Genesis 18.
So we are ambassadors. We've been backed and authorized by heaven. I want to show you the story about Abraham here in Genesis 18. Verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. So Abraham's outside. It's the hot part of the day. And he looks and sees God walking and approaching him with two angelic beings by his side. He knows it's God. He runs up and worships him and says, hey, can you stay at my house for a little bit? Now, you would do the same thing. Now, you know what's something that's just humorous to me? That he stayed and allowed Sarah to cook for him, and God ate Sarah's food. Sarah must have been a pretty cook, good cook if God said, you know what, I'll stay a little while and eat what she's cooking. And so they're there for a day, and God begins to talk to Abraham about his future, about Isaac that's coming, and helps him overcome the unbelief. And then right when he's about to leave, look at verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him. They had a relationship. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So notice, God is about to talk to Abraham about what's coming up for two reasons. Two reasons. They had a relationship. And it was something in Abraham's proximity. Abraham and God had a relationship, and what's about to happen is in proximity of Abraham. Notice what God tells him. Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. So there's a visitation that's about to precede judgment. Now, one of the things you have to understand about judgment is judgment always comes. Another word for judgment is harvest. Whatever you sow, you'll reap, right? Judgment and harvest are the same thing. So, Kurt, let me use you for example. Because one of the things also, just stand right there so everybody can see. The world operates by laws. How many of you are familiar with the law of gravity? Y'all familiar with the law of gravity? Kurt, jump up for a second. Did you see God pushing back down? Y'all missed it? Let's try it again. Do it again, Kurt. Did y'all see God pushing back down? No, what brought Kurt back to the earth? The law of gravity. Thanks, Kurt. And so when judgment comes, we say, oh, well, God did it to them. No, there's laws in the earth. One of the laws of the earth is the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? The wages of sin is death. James even talked about sin eventually produces death. Sin brings forth death. Sin brings forth judgment. That's what sin does. Now, there are also ways to conquer laws of the earth. We know about the law of gravity, but there's also the law of lift and thrust. That's why airplanes can fly. As long as they have fuel, they're good. What are they doing? They're superseding the law of gravity. And you can supersede the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. So whatever laws in the earth, there are also laws that are above them. And so God is talking to Abraham, said, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, these weren't like small little areas. These are two large metropolitan twin cities with surrounding cities. It says, their sin is so great, it's reached me up in heaven. So the thing is, it's not like they just started sinning. This has been going on for a long, 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 long time. And it's not like they didn't have a witness that God is real. Because you would think, well, if they didn't know God, well, no, 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 no. A couple chapters before, there was a war. They were conquered by the baddest army of the day. 
But that army made a mistake because they took Abraham's nephew. And Abraham did not like that. So Abraham got everybody in his house, about 138 people, and they went to war and they took down five armies at night with no night goggles. And they rescued Sodom and Gomorrah and their kings. So everybody in that city knew Abraham. Come on. If one dude and 137 other people rescue you, you would know that man's name. You would know who his God is. You would know how he did it. So everybody knew they had a chance. They had a witness. And Abraham didn't live far away. They all knew where Abraham lived. And so when you look at this, we see judgment is fastly coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham drew near and said to God, will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50 righteous people within the city. Will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from you to do after this man and slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Ooh. The boldness of Abraham. How dare you talk to God that way? How could he? Because he had a relationship with God. And also it was his proximity. Abraham had something to say about Sodom and Gomorrah because that was his authority and a part of the area God has given him authority over. He had something to say about it. So he said, well, God, if there are 50 righteous people in two metro areas and all the surrounding cities, just 50, will you spare the city? And that's what God says to him. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous people within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And so Abraham keeps going, well, about 45. What about 40? 35, 30, 25, 20, 50, 10. 10 people in two metro areas, just 10. And God said, if there's 10, judgment won't come. Now, it is partly because of the righteous, but why also? Because Abraham asked. Abraham asked. He said, for 10, will you spare the city? But we also know there weren't 10. But did you notice judgment couldn't come as long as Abraham's family was there? Because the two angels said, nothing can happen until you get out. So although Abraham stood before God for 10, everybody else, because the thing is, we only know at least one righteous person that said his name was Lot. His family's kind of suspect. Major sus, they're really suspect. You don't really don't know. But Lot was righteous. And so because Lot was righteous, his house escaped. See, there's some people in your family that will escape stuff just because you live right. That something should have happened, but because you live right? Come on, some people are still alive because great-grandma knew how to pray. She'd been in heaven for decades, but you still breathing because she got before God and says, I pray for my bloodline. See, prayers are generational. They can even work when you're no longer in the earth. And so... Because Abraham stood before God and prayed, Lot and his family had the opportunity to escape the judgment. And then Lot was also righteous. He said on the way out, they said, oh, we don't want to go to the mountain. Can we stay in that city? And they said, because you asked, that city is spared. What do they do? They asked. So with this in mind, are you standing before God concerning your neighborhood and your community? 
With this in mind, are you standing before God for your neighborhood and your community? Go to Ezekiel 22. Are you standing before God before your neighborhood and your community? You are a divine ambassador, divine representative. Are you standing before God for your neighborhood and your community? Let's look why it's so important in Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22, verse 29. Let's talk about another instance where judgment is about to come. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery, and they have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge or make up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy, but I found out none. Judgment was coming. But before judgment comes, God said, I was looking for somebody, anybody, to make up a wall, to pray, to say, hold off the judgment. He said, I was looking. He says another scripture, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. I don't delight in anybody's death. I don't want anybody to perish. So he's always looking for somebody to stand in the gap and make up a wall between the judgment. Although judgment should come, although judgment is the just response of their sin, although death manifesting is the just response of their sin, God is also a God of mercy. So he's looking for somebody, anybody. Can somebody stand up and say, hold back the judgment. Give them more time. Give them mercy. Just one. I just look at one person, just one dude, just one. Even if they five, I just need them to say, hold it up. So are there things happening in your neighborhood, in your community, because you've been prayerless? Or you've been inconsistent in your prayer life? You say, well, I don't have control of what they do. I didn't say have control of what they do. I said stand before God and ask for time. Stand before God and ask for mercy. God, I know what they're doing is not right. I know what they're doing is going to bring destruction. But on their behalf, sir, I ask for mercy. On their behalf, sir, I ask for time. On their behalf, I ask for what their lifestyle is causing won't catch up with them. And because you ask, they'll get it. You'll make up a wall between them and their dumb decisions. And give them more time. Aren't you glad you had time? That your dumb decisions didn't catch up with you before you found Jesus? That before your dumb decisions could have taken you out of this planet and sent you to a devil's hell, there was time for you to turn because somebody got before God on your behalf. Someone pled the blood of Jesus on your behalf. Someone prayed in the Holy Ghost on your behalf and got you some more time. That before your alcohol habits took you out, you had time. Before your drug habits took you out, you had time. Before your immorality took you out, you had time. Before you just living dangerously and recklessly took you out, you had time. Because somebody prayed for you. Someone stood before God and asked God to hold back the effects of your lifestyle, to hold back the attack of the enemy, to hold back an open door of darkness. God, hold it back. And he held it back because they asked on your behalf. How much more should we do that for our neighborhood and our community? How many people are suffering because the church has been quiet? I'm not talking about quiet on social media. I said quiet before God. 
Are you praying for your neighborhood and your community like it belongs to you? Earlier this year, we looked at Romans 4.13, a New Living Translation says, because you're the seed of Abraham, you're blessed with faithful Abraham, the whole world belongs to you. So are you praying like it does? Remember, Adam had dominion and authority over his assignment, where he lived. You have dominion and authority where you live in your neighborhood and your community. It belongs to you. So what are you allowing to show up there? Hmm? What are you allowing to show up there? I remember Lynn Hammond told the story many years ago. I've learned a lot from her concerning prayer. And she said someone who called her, who was one of her prayer partners, called her crying in distress and said, well, this other religion built this temple in my neighborhood, and she was so distressed about it. And Lynn re replied to her and says, well, why did you allow it to be built? That's your fault. See, it's hard to remove something once it's there. But you can keep stuff from coming up by praying. So what's showed up in your neighborhood because you've been quiet before God? So oh, the will of God automatically comes to pass. No, it doesn't. There are some things that will happen because God said it, but there are other things that can be changed if you say something. Because God has given you dominion and authority. Your future can be more or less blessed concerning your obedience to God and yielding to what God says. Same thing about your neighborhood and your community. You say, oh no, the will of God has to come to pass. It comes to pass in everybody's life. Well, 1 Timothy 2.4, let's go there real quick. Because people are like, oh, God is in control. That's religious, but wrong. It gives false comfort, but it's not Bible. Because if God was in control of everything, you know, it's, he's not doing that good of a job. But the scripture says, he has given the earth to the children of men. And the highest people on the earth who have the highest authority is the church. So if you don't like what's going on in the world, look in the mirror. And don't make me sing Michael Jackson talk about the man in the mirror. First, Tim, first Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving thanks be made on behalf or over all men for kings and for all those in authority, no matter their political preference, no matter if you like them, no matter if they're elephants or donkeys, and no matter if you like what they tweet or not. You're supposed to pray. That we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable on the side of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. What well, is that true? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It is the will of God that everybody be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. But will everybody be saved? No. Why? People have wills, people have decisions. People will go to hell even though hell was not made for them. And God doesn't want anybody to perish. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But people have wills. So you saying that, well, case sarah, whatever will be, will be, that's because you let it be. Because you let it happen. I remember reading one of the books on prayer by Dad Hagen. And he talked about several decades ago now, how there's something going on in the nation. And God gave him a vision and dream ahead of time about it. And he says, I want you and your prayer teams, your ministry, to pray about this. And so they were diligent. They prayed about it for months, maybe a year or more. But eventually, you know, they're like us. They got distracted, started thinking about other things, praying about other things. And it showed up on the news. 
it was something that was a national impact that still actually affects the nation to this day. And God told Dad Hagen, I said, I hold you and the church responsible for it more than I hold the president because you let it happen. We're ambassadors. What's going on in our neighborhoods and our communities that we have allowed to go on? As a kingdom representative, we must be active doing our assignments. We must use the authority God has given us. We must control our thought life. We must know who we are and whose we are. We must know who sent us. And we must stand in the gap for others in prayer. You see in verse 1, this word intercessions. This word for intercession was a technical word used for approaching a king. It was an official meeting. This is you coming before the king of kings on behalf of someone else or to stand in the way of their judgment. We have this official responsibility that sadly we neglect. So we'll leave the prayer for the pastor and the super spiritual ladies of the church. Leave it for them. No. All of us have a call to pray. All of us have a responsibility to stand before God and to pray for our neighborhood for our community, for our coworkers, for our classmates, for those around us. So I'm not that you know, skilled in prayer. It just starts as God, help them please. I ask for mercy. Don't let their life catch up with them. Give them another chance. That's effective. And as you keep going in prayer and you learn to pray in the spirit and yield to God, he'll increase your effectiveness in prayer. He'll increase your influence in prayer that he'll give you prayer assignments and people to pray for, that you keep praying until whatever's in their life is done. And well, do you know until they call you? Well, sometimes you see a change in life and you can back away because you've completed your assignment. But other times you'll be praying for them and praying for them, especially in the spirit. And on the inside, you'll have this note of victory. This note, it's like joy hits. Like, okay, it's done. I've handled it. Then what do you do until it shows up? You just thank God for it because you've already handled the business in prayer. Remember one of some things we've said during this 31 days of prayer and fasting, there's two sides of prayer. Part is communicating with God, and the other is partnering with God through your prayer life, where the Holy Spirit is praying through you the perfect will of God. We found that in Romans 8. And we have this divine responsibility to stand before God, yes, on behalf of our family, but on behalf of our neighborhood and our community. That we have such an intense love for our neighbors in our community, whether they look like us, whether they believe like us, whether they talk like us, whether they vote like us, whether they live like us or not. But because we know God loves them, we've decided to love them like God. And we said, God, give them more time. Give them another chance. You pray that Ephesians 1 prayer for them. You're praying that the eyes of the understanding be flooded with light. You're praying that God gives them eyes to see, ears and heart receive, know and understand. You're praying that God keeps sending people across the path to minister the word to them in a way they can receive it. That whatever, if it's a message, if it's a meme, if it's a post, if it's an email, if it's a TV broadcast, whatever, God, get their attention, sir. And we pray for them every single day. You know, some of you have done a lot more walking or running since being sheltered in place. Well, I encourage you, while you walk, pray for your neighborhood. Ask for mercy for your neighborhood. So well, I don't know everybody in my neighborhood, but God does. You just say, in the name of your neighborhood. He said, for my neighbors over there, sir. You can walk through and pray for marriages. You can walk through and pray 
for parents to have wisdom on how to raise their kids in such a time as this. Well, pray for people to have relief from stress because of what they've been facing this year. And you're going to become effective and active, and sometimes you'll know the result of your prayers. And some you won't know until you get to heaven when God shows you the effect of your prayer life. And he rewards you for it. You'll have rewards of a prayer life on earth. You know, Jesus talks about that. But your reward in heaven is even greater. And so it's really on my heart strong that this week, as we end our 31 days of prayer and fasting, we need to stand before God on behalf of our neighborhoods and our community. So what do you mean that means something's going to happen this week? I'm not sure. But there's sometimes things in the spirit aren't just about what happens right now, what happens next week. It's also things that reverberate in the future. But your obedience to God now stops things from happening in the future. Not all prayers answered tomorrow. Some prayer has effects on the future. Just like, you know, I use the example of great-grandmothers praying. That they see the answers to the prayers while they're in heaven. Because they were faithful to pray all those decades ago. So we need to be faithful in prayer and not just be prayerless. And unconsistent in our prayer life. I encourage you, I urge you, and I exhort you. And by the Spirit, I command you, pray for your neighborhood and your community this week. Pray for them like you've never prayed for them before. Pray for their kids. Pray for their family members. Pray for their well-being. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their marriages and their relationships. Pray for their finances. Yield to the Spirit, and He'll tell you what to pray for them. Do it every single day. It's important. Your neighbors don't even know how much they need you. They don't. And whether you like a certain neighbor or not, don't skip them. Say, I don't like them. They got an attitude every time I see them. <laughs> Their dogs bark all through the night. They play music at random times. There's certain smells that come from over there. I know they ain't living right. Don't skip out on them. Make them your favorite neighbor. So God, I ask for them. Pray for those in the apartment complex, especially those that have like super heavy feet at 12 a.m. Like what could you be doing up there? Walking like that. Are you like a professional tap dancer? What is going on? Pray for them. Pray for those who have been shut in and elderly and the family couldn't see them. Pray for them who have lost loved ones this year and the holidays are approaching and there's an empty chair at that table. Pray for them. This is our year of restoration and we're called to be agents of restoration. And one of the ways we fulfill that is by being people of prayer. You know, upcoming probably in a couple weeks, I'm gonna have First Lady share a dream that God gave her near the beginning of the year. And it's about people being in their place and the effects of not being in their place. And when she shared it with me, you know, I'll let her give the details in a few weeks. You know, God woke her up during the night and gave her this dream. And so she woke up, think, she's like, is this real? Is this a dream? And I'm still asleep. And she wakes me up and said, the Lord talks to you. Like, no, he's letting me sleep. He's talking to you. Let me sleep, please. <laughs> but of course, she shared with me that dream then, and we talked about it again on Friday. And I said, you know, I told her earlier this year, she says, do you think that dream was about COVID? I said, no, I don't. I think what that dream is about is yet to come. And so I'm going to have her share on it and share some things the Lord has talked to her about it. 
as well as I'm going to teach on it afterwards. And then we're going to do some praying. So I'll let you know the Sunday advance. Just know, come to pray. You'll get the word. We got some business to take care of in prayer. Because we can make a difference. So we were talking about on a Friday. She says, you know, after I woke up, I saw the people when they took their place. I could actually see there were members of our congregation in their place. And as they prayed, they stretched their hands and the darkness backed up. You know, we had a prayer conference earlier this year. And it was me and Marcus Tankard. We were praying on a Friday night. And, you know, he was talked to Sister Lynn Hammond about, you know, the prayer conference. He's like, oh, yes, I know Faith Christian Center. You know, there's a call of God on them. They are people who know how to pray. They are people who know, sure, exact phrase where they are people who know how to do business with God. And how do you do that? By prayer. And so, even though our 31 days of prayer and fasting may be ending on Saturday, don't lose what you've gained in prayer. Stay before God in prayer. Just because your fasting is over and you're excited about Thanksgiving, which I am. You know, I was waking up one morning because I choose to fast breakfast. Like, man, I'm ready for this to be over with. I'm hungry. But there's something about living a fasted life. And so there's certain days going forward that I'm going to take, I'm still going to skip a meal and replace it with prayer. And let God lead you concerning that, and he'll tell you what to do. But we have responsibility in prayer. So let's stand to our feet. Before we go, we talked a lot about prayer. Guess what? We might as well pray. So, Father, we come to you right now, boldly to the throne of grace, receiving grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. According to Ephesians 1 and 2, we take our place seated with you at your right hand in Christ Jesus in heavenly place, and you've put all things under our feet, and you've given us the right to use the name and the authority of Jesus. So we come right now to do business with you concerning this area where we are. You told us years ago in prayer about our 10-mile radius. So we lift up the 10-mile radius from this building. And we plead the blood of Jesus. We come against the plans of the enemy. We come against the plans of the enemy to bring destruction through COVID. We come against the plans of the enemy to bring destruction through terrorism. We come against the plans of the enemy to bring through destruction through gang violence and sex trafficking and drug trafficking. We curse his plans to fail. And we command those who decide to yield to the plans of the enemy and be agents of destruction to be exposed to those who are in authority. Yes, I say we pray for corruption in authority to be revealed. Corruption in high places of political authority and financial authority and attainment authority to be revealed and exposed and brought down. We ask for mercy for this 10-mile radius on behalf of those who don't know you, those who are far from you, those who have walked away, those who are just not living right, those who are in deception, those who know what they're doing is wrong. We ask for mercy on their behalf that you give them more time to repent, sir. That you send the right person across their path to minister the words in the way they can receive it. Whether it's a meme, whether it's a post, whether it's a broadcast, whether it's not, whatever needs to come across their path to give them another opportunity to turn, we pray that it comes across their path. We pray that you grant them dreams and visions in the night where they see Jesus. We pray for angelic activity to be active in their life. We bind the enemy. We bind the lying spirits. We bind spirits of immorality and spirits of infirmity. You cannot have them. 
We hold the blood of Jesus against you. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.